get into our lesson. You know, as I look out amongst us, we are very, very blessed in so many ways. And one way is I, as I see people in their 30s, 40s, and I think 50s, maybe early 50s, who are part of the campus ministry, just like Gary was talking about Alex, part of the campus ministry in those early days who are now, who became Christians during that time, who are now part of our uh, fellowship, part of our leadership, and I believe part of our future eldership. And so I'm so thankful for the campus ministry, uh, what, they, what they have done over the years from way back until recently. Uh, I'm, I asked uh, Mackie to come up and, and share with us briefly, briefly, um, <clears throat> what we're going to be doing next week uh, with the campus ministry. And what I want to do is just, first of all, I want the, the college students to know that I am supportive of you. You give us energy. You give us challenges. You uh, help us grow. And um, and I think the the mutual helping of each other part of the body is something that we that we need to grow in and continue to uh, to uh, to um, enjoy and continue to grow in that area. Next week, there's going to be a special event. Uh, as I said, I'm going to get Mackie to share that with us. And I want to encourage us all to support it in one way or another. Some of us will be able to uh, support it in a physical way. Some of us need to just support it in our prayers and whatever way we can, I want you to do that. Mackie, come on up and share with us, and then I'll follow you. All right, so I thought I would start by uh, having us go to the book of Revelation and do a quick exegesis of that um, text. Oh, First John. Uh, well, no, we won't do that. Um, I do want to call your attention to a little insert in your bulletin. Uh, it's the, the only separate sheet that looks like this that doesn't fold. And uh, you can read over that, so that'll take away some of my time this morning. But I just want to call your attention to next Sunday is going to be a special Sunday. We want you to sort of treat it like uh, a bring your friend day or a bring your neighbor day, as we've called it in the past. And uh, really take the opportunity to invite your friends, invite your enemies, if you have those. Uh, but invite anyone and everyone that you can. That evening at 530 uh, some of our young men and women from the campus ministry are going to take some of their gifts and talents that God has given them and put them on display in the form of a concert. That's at 530 next Sunday evening. I know a lot of you are in life talks during that time. We want to extend the invitation to your life talks. Take a break. Uh, some of you say, yes, I need a break. Uh, so come take a break with us and support uh, these these young men and women. Just to list a few, um, Jarrell Cromarty will be there, Paul Stone, uh, Jonathan Hill, Stephen Callens, and Jamie Kuhn. And uh, a lot of those guys are into Christian hip-hop, except for Jamie. So, uh, though I don't know what we might see from her that night, um, she might dabble a little bit. But uh, anyway, we hope that you'll come and support them that evening and take the opportunity Sunday morning uh, to invite your friends, our goal is to invite those that, that will be at the concert from the college campuses that we'll get them here on Sunday morning. And so we want you to be very attentive. Get your radars up and look for people that you don't know, that you don't recognize, and really make them feel welcome next Sunday morning. And don't tell anyone, but I'll be speaking Sunday morning as well. That might deter them. But anyway, um, so invite your friends. It's going to be a great time together. We love you guys and hope you'll come and support us.
Thank you. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 14 and 15. And we have here one of the most, I think, fascinating and yet astonishing scriptures in the entire Bible. And let's just begin by reading that to, uh, together. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. You know, the absolute boldness of that statement at first glance causes your hearts, my heart, to rise in joy. And then the next second causes doubt in my heart. There's a there's a sense of tension in this passage that, you know, as I read it, I think I so desperately want to believe. And yet, at the same time, some of my experiences conflict and I either doubt the passage or I doubt myself. Do you believe what you just sang? Sometimes we sing songs and we just sing them. And we sing them abstractly. We're just singing the, the tune without looking at the words. Did you notice the words that you sang of, I think, the second to last song, And Can It Be? Boldly I come before your throne to claim, that's a powerful word, to claim your mercy, your mercy immense and free. And sometimes I wonder if we sing songs and we don't even realize what we just sang. I want to be, I want to start out, I want to be, you know, honest. And I always think that's funny. Can I be honest with you? Well, I hope you are. <laughs> but let's, sometimes we're not as honest as we should be. And so as I approach this passage, I want to be brutally honest. I read a book recently, and I like to read all sorts of books, so I try to understand how people think. And this particular book was quoting an author, a writer by the name of Paul Bowles. I've never read any of his work. And this man said, Paul Bowles was quoted as saying this, Muslims live their faith. They are seldom hypocrites. But hypocrisy is part of Christianity. And that caused me to put the book down and to think and to get a little bit defensive at first. But instead of being offended, I think it would be better to examine ourselves personally and think, how hypocritical am I in regards to this passage? When I think of my prayer life, do I see most of my prayers answered? If you answer as I do, well, yes, I, I've seen the answers most of the time and there have been no and that seems a little bit of a cop-out to say, well, I pray and God just says no. I don't see things in my life. I just pray and the answer is no a lot. Can we believe the absolute authority and inspiration of this scripture right here? And yet at the same time, be honest with ourselves and say, you know, when I pray, I haven't. There's times that I just haven't seen this play out in my life. The power of this passage. 1987, I sat on the back steps 
of a rental house. I had to avoid the landlord from the beginning of the month. At first, I avoided him for two or three days until I had enough money to pay the rent. And I noticed the next month I had to avoid him for five or six days. And then ten days. Because I'm just trying to save up enough money to pay rent and feed the family and pay utilities. And I remember sitting on that back porch praying, Lord... I know you said if a, if your son asks for a loaf of bread, will he give him a will he give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? But I feel right now I'm eating rocks and I've been bitten by a snake. That's where I was at that time in my life. And so, is it possible to be honest without? Questioning the validity of the scriptures. I'm not questioning that at all. I believe it is. I think about the times, and maybe you can think about the times you pray for God's will to be done. Maybe someone becoming a Christian. Or someone returning to the Lord. Or a broken marriage being healed. And then those things didn't happen. And you ask the questions, well, aren't those in God's will? Surely those are in God's will. I prayed for these things and it it just didn't come about. And yet he says, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we ask for. So I want to deal with this really powerful passage in an honest way. While knowing at the same time, I don't have the complete answers. I'm not going to stand up here and say I have all the answers to this passage and all the questions that may arise from it. And just because I don't have all the answers to the questions, that's no reason for me to throw out. The entire Bible, because I struggle with one part. There's several parts in the Bible that I struggle with. I don't know everything about it. The validity of the scriptures has been confirmed in my life over and over. Even in this letter, as I've shared with you, as you work through this entire letter, I've seen it work out in my life. And I accept it by faith. And if you remember from our last lesson on this, faith is based in fact It's based in fact and it's based in reason. It's not just closing my eyes and jumping. It's based in fact. It's based in reason. And so when I come to this passage and I don't fully comprehend it, I know by faith, based on fact and reason of how it's worked out in my life, that this is true. This is true. Even though sometimes I don't fully see it in my own life. You know, as we look at this, as we approach this, we need to realize that this confidence, and I want to, I want to key in on the word here, this is the confidence. That the confidence is linked to knowing. You've heard this over and over. So we've worked through First John. That know, knowing is used 37 times, I think, something like that. Over and over we see this word, you know, you know, you know. And so it's linked here from... Verse 13 to verse 14. And the way you you may, some of your Bibles will, at the beginning of verse 14, will say and, use the word and, that little conjunction that connects sentences. And it's there in the original language. The word and connects it to the previous. It's saying that by living in eternal life, let's read this. I write this so that you, uh, these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's connecting it, and this is the confidence. And so he's connecting it with knowing, and he's saying by living in eternal life, by knowing that you have eternal life, this gives you confidence in prayer. 
You can have confidence in prayer because you know that you have eternal life. Knowing you have eternal life also helps you know lots of other things. And we covered those. I listed 20-something things that we know as we went through it in our previous lesson. You know one thing, that you are God's loved. You're God's beloved. Seven or eight times he says, you're my beloved. Uh, He calls you his little children. You're my little children because we know that we're his children, because we know that we're his beloved. We know he hears us and we know that he answers us. And this confidence isn't centered in our asking, but it's centered in him and his perfection. And I'm saying this because I think a lot of times we when we read this and we don't really think about it, we think the confidence is linked to asking. I'm confident, so I'm asking. And so I'm confident in my asking. And that's not where the confidence lies. The confidence is in an abiding relationship that we have with him. Again, this this is the summary of the entire book. We have to keep going back to... What he said previously, and and he said several times, you abide in me. There's this abiding relationship that we have. And so we're confident in this abiding relationship that we have. That word confidence, we explained before, means literally all speech. All speech. We can speak with him freely. We have freedom of speech before God. There's no fear. Connected to that, it means boldness, an open manner. No fear, no need to hide, full courage, having an open countenance, perfect confidence. This is what it means when he says we have confidence before him, a boldness before him. The opposite of it would be shy or timid or fearful. And so as we approach God in confidence, is it with fear? Is it with timidity? Or is it with boldness? Is it with this freedom To stand before him. Three times already we've seen this. Chapter 2, verse 28. And, you know, we had sermons on this, so I'm not going to have another sermon on it. We have confidence in chapter 2, verse uh, 28, in his coming. And because of that, well, no, in his coming. Then in chapter 3, verse 21, we have confidence in our relationship with God, this abiding relationship with God. And thus with prayer. He talks about that in 321. 4.17, we have confidence in judgment. When we stand before him in judgment, he says we will be confident. There will be no fear. And he says this is the purpose of mature love. And now we come to this passage. We're confident in prayer. This confidence isn't in that we know what to ask. Sometimes I don't know what to ask. But the confidence is in him and that he hears us. Therefore, the confidence is in the one to whom we're asking. This makes a big difference. Our confidence isn't in ourselves. It isn't in our asking. It isn't in our own personal boldness, but it's in him. And it's not an occasional incident. It's not every now and then we have confidence. But he says we have in the present tense, meaning currently, continually have confidence before him. My life is in, an, is in an abiding relationship with God. It's a continuous walk. It's a constant and comfortable fellowship. That's what the word abide means. A constant, comfortable fellowship. 
It's a communion with him. And so if I'm aware of that, I'm continually I continually have this confidence. It's really neat to hear the singing and hear the comments in the communion, knowing what I'm going to say. And I'm thinking with Alex getting up here and saying, you know, sometimes I forget. Sometimes I need to remember. I'm saying that's exactly what I wanted to say here. Our struggle is to remember that I'm in this abiding relationship. Remember the type of relationship I have with God. I need to be continually reminded of that. And that's why we get together, not only on Sundays, but other times, too, to remind each other of the relationship that we have. And he says we have this confidence in approaching God. Some of your translations will not say in approaching God. And this this is a symbolic illustration. Okay, I don't want you to think that I think God's a big rock. All right. Or a big mountain. He's bigger than that. This is very symbolic. But it's the best that I could see in approaching God and coming to God who is much bigger and much more powerful than us. Literally, the words here are before him or to or toward him. Approaching God gives us this idea of God is over there. I'm over here. And so I'm going to I'm going to approach God now in prayer. I'm going to come to him and he's way over there. So I'm going to approach him in prayer. And sometimes our prayers betray us when we say we come before you. We come before you in your presence or something like that. And I'm not putting that down. I, I, that's, it's, it's not a that's not a terrible prayer, but it does give us the idea that God is way over there. and We're over here doing our business and maybe he's looking in on us and everything. But then we approach him in prayer. We come before him in our prayer. And yet that's not what this passage is saying. It says instead, you have an abiding relationship with him. You are remaining in him. You are in communion with him. You are in fellowship with him. And so this literally could be translated. We have confidence as we are face to face with him. An amazing thing. Face to face with God. So because of this abiding relationship, because of this face to face relationship I have with God, I can be confident in asking. I was confident in knowing and now I can be confident in asking because I'm in, the, in, in this relationship with him. And here's the neat thing. God wants us to ask. He wants us to ask him. And it's not because he's manipulative it's not because he needs to feel superior or he needs to feel like he's God. Any kind of feeling from God. It's not that he's going to withhold from us if we don't ask. But he wants us to ask because it's the nature of the relationship. We have a relationship here with God. And because of the nature of the relationship, he says, look, ask. A good father loves to give good gifts. I'll say a good grandfather loves to give good gifts, too. And we recognize that God is good. And we recognize God is generous. And he's able to give. He's able to give what we ask. And it reminds us as we ask that I have a father, a good father, who's generous and he's able. And so I can go to him and I can ask. As I as I meditated on this passage this week, I thought, what what happens when I ask? What what's going on when I'm asking God for things? 
And I, I realized that receiving things without asking eventually leads me to believe that I don't need him. If I receive good things without asking, I get to the point in my life, I, I start living my life as if I don't need God. And that's the way the world is. The world goes throughout life receiving good things without asking, and they don't think they need God. God said, uh, Jesus said, he sends rain, God sends rain on the good and the evil, the just and the unjust. He gives good gifts to, to all people. And yet I've talked to people all my life who are unbelievers. They just walk through life in good health, good weather, good jobs, and they think it's all about them. They don't realize where these good gifts are coming from. And it's not until they're pulled away from them many times. When the health is pulled away from them, they suddenly realize there's more to life than, than me. And I wish I'd prepared myself better. How do we ask? This word, if we ask, that meaning, the meaning of that word means whenever we ask or since we ask. It's not a doubting kind of asking. It's not saying, well, if we do or if we don't. It's not that kind of asking. It's more like since we ask. Whenever and as often as we ask, presupposing that we will ask and that we'll ask continually, that this actually becomes our character. God wants this to be part of our character. We're, we are askers. We go through life asking. Have you noticed that as you've developed in your maturity? Do you drive down the road asking God for things? Do you? I know you do. I know some of you do. And I'm not talking about selfish. I know you just, you just go through life asking God, praying to God, talking to God. What's going, what has happened to your life? Well, you've become an asker. You've come connected with God. Some of you say, you know, sometimes I don't feel like I'm in an abiding relationship with God. And then you're driving down the road just talking to God. Well, what do you think has happened to you? You've just kind of moved into it. You've grown into it. You don't even realize what you, what's happened to your life. You're an abider. You're an asker. You're talking to God. He, you can't imagine him not being a part of your life. This type of asking, though, is something we're asking for something to be given to us. We want something. It, it, it's an asking with a sense of urgency. This word has a sense of urgency, so much so that it's as if you're demanding something from God. And I've known people who feel guilty because they've asked in such a way. They've asked and they've begged and they've pleaded with God and demanded. And then they felt guilty because of asked, asked in that way. Asked? Did I say asked? Sorry. <laughs> That's a new word. You know, if we stop here and go no further, think of what an incre incredible privilege and gift this is. God, creator, all-powerful. He could, with the breath of his mouth, extinguish us. And he says, I want to be face-to-face -face with you. I want to be close to you. I want a, an abiding relationship with you. And he says, ask for anything. 
ask me. Ask me for anything. I want you to know me like I know you. I know you, he says. But I want you to know me. And I want you to pour out your heart to me. I want you to ask me. You know, God is not distant and uncaring. He's in our face. And he says, ask. Ask me. And he says, and besides that, I want you to make it personal. Make it personal. Those who know the Greek grammar, and I don't know it very well, says that this verb is in the middle voice. You know what that means? It means make it personal. That's all it means. He says, I want you to make this personal. This isn't a generic asking, bless all the world, bless all the sick, help all the poor, help the church to grow, bless all the marriages. Nothing wrong with that. You can pray that way. That's fine. But Father says this, no, I want you to make it personal. I want you to look at your life. I want you to look at your needs. I want to look at your desires. What do you want? Ask. Ask me. He won't scold you. He won't embarrass you. He's the great giver. He's graciousness personified. He owns everything. He has all. And he says, what do you want? Just ask. Ask me. And this leads us to confidence in the giver. This confidence centers us in the giver. Have you noticed, as we work through 1 John, how this is such a Christ-centered and God-centered message? If you say no, (laughs) I'm going to have to come and... I won't, no, I won't say. I mean, I've said over and over, this is Christ-centered. I don't want to be accused of wanting to slap somebody. It is Christ-centered. I will turn my cheek and let you slap me. <laughs> All right. It is a Christ-centered message. It's a God-centered message. And, and as we come to this passage, we see it again. We have confidence in the giver. Do you really want everything you ask for? Do you really want everything you ask for? We think so. Well, we know that's not true when we sit there and think for a moment. A child may ask for something that would harm him. He thinks he wants it. He it happens all the time. He wants it. He thinks he wants it. But you as a parent know he no, he doesn't want that. He doesn't really want that. Why do mothers say no more sugar? Because they know the result of too much sugar, right? No more um, electronics. No more electronics. Why? Why are you so mean, mom? Why are you so mean, Dad? Don't, don't let me watch TV all day long. Don't, won't, won't let me get on the iPod or whatever it is all day. Because Dad and Mom know that's not good. It's not healthy. It's harmful. A little bit's okay, but not a lot. And we're like little children sometimes. If we got what we wanted, we'd be certain we don't want it anymore. How many times have I in my life just thought out, if I got what I wanted... I prayed in the past for this, and I didn't get it, and I was upset. And now, today, I'm thankful that God didn't give it to me. Because my confidence turns to the giver. Are we really so wise that we really know what we need? That if we pray for everything that we wanted, we would get? But God says, now don't be afraid to ask. God's not going to give you something you don't need. 
God's not going to give you something that will harm you. When I sat on that back porch and I prayed, I feel like I'm eating rocks. I feel like I've been handed a snake that's bitten me. Now I look back and say, I needed that. That was good. That was a good gift from God. I needed to go through that. I needed to grow up. I needed these, what I thought was rocks, and they were just, it's just hard bread. It nourished me. That snake was just fish, ugly-looking fish that I didn't want, but it was a good fish. It nourished me. So we learn. We begin to learn. We learn how to pray according to his will, as he says here, according to his will. And this is where we center ourselves once again in his will and not ours. I've had people come to me, some young people even recently come to me and say, how do I know God's will? How do I know God's will? Here, I pray according to his will. How do I know that? It's not this unknown, mysterious will of God that we have to figure out. It's not an arbitrary will where God sometimes wants this and sometimes wants that and and we're all mixed up. This is God's expressed will in Christ. We can know his will. His will is wrapped up in joy. His will is wrapped up in not sinning. His will is wrapped up in eternal life. That's what this whole book's about. Joy, not sinning, and eternal life. It's living this Christ-centered life. It's living in, in this eternal living. And so our prayer has to be anchored in the Scriptures. That's where we find his will. Do you really want to know the will of God? Do you want to pray according to his will? You've got to immerse yourself in the Scriptures. This is where you're going to find his will. If we're not reading the Scriptures, if we're not studying the Scriptures, you're going to fall short of knowing what God's will is. If you want to pray his will and do his will, you've got to find out what his will is. You have to look in the scriptures to find it. And then even as we study the scriptures, as we go through these scriptures, often we do find we still find ourselves falling short, don't we? We don't know everything. That's why we keep studying the Bible. That's why we can keep learning more and more and learning more about his will and how all these things work together. Because God knows how everything works together. We don't. Let me give you a few biblical examples. Think about John. I thought about John a lot, obviously. John the Apostle, the one that wrote this book. Think about him for a moment. Do you think that he prayed for his brother James when he was arrested? Acts chapter 12, if you haven't read that, you can go there and read the story. James was arrested by Herod and had his head cut off, killed with a sword. I don't know what that means. Killed with a sword. The first apostle to be martyred. I believe that John more than likely prayed for his brother that he would be released, and he wasn't. What good he could have done. Who would have James taught and helped, ministered to over the years? Why did God let him die? And then right after that same chapter, Peter goes to jail. He's put in jail. He's locked up. And the Christians get together and they're praying for him and miraculously he's, he's released. Why Peter and not James? I was sitting in my birthday gift from my parents, a recliner, and I was thinking about that. Why Peter and not James? And I thought, why James and not Peter? Maybe that's a better question. Why did James get to go to heaven first? 
Why did James get the blessing of being with God? And Peter have to stay on this earth and be there for years and years and suffering and all the things that he went through. Why James and not Peter? Maybe we ask the wrong question sometimes. We're learning to pray the will of God. When Jesus told Peter, Satan's going to sift you like wheat. He's asked to sift you like wheat. What would your prayer have been? Oh, Lord, please give Peter the strength to overcome, to fight Satan. You know, Jesus, his prayer was, I pray that Peter's faith won't fail him. I know you're going to fail, Peter. He did. And he knew he was going to fail. Probably because Peter needed that failure so that he can learn how to strengthen others. It's only when we go through some things that sometimes we can help others, right? Maybe the very thing you're going through, the struggle that you're going through, is so that you can one day help other people. And yet we pray, God, please release me from this struggle. And God's saying, that's good. You need that. That's where you need to be right now. And we need to pray that our faith doesn't fail during that time. There's a false, and I call these sayings gooey, gooey platitude about prayer. If, you, if it's in your kitchen, please excuse me. Name it and claim it. That weakens faith because it centers around ourselves. I name it. I claim it. Instead of God's will. Name God's will. Claim God's will. You know, if we think for about half a second... We know that's what we really want. We want His will. We don't want our will. We want His will because His will is good. His will is righteous. His will is often not our will. But when we think about it, His will is right. His will. When you think about His will, do you think about something that's hard and demanding, that's tough to do? That word will when it speaks of God, speaks of his gracious character toward us. Read through the Bible. You read about the will of God. And when it, when it says it specifically, it's talking about graciousness. It's talking about his goodness. I'll give you one example. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says, God adopted us. I think it's on our next thing. There. God adopted us. I love this. It's one of my favorite passages. According to his pleasure... And will. Wow. God was pleased to adopt you. That's what he wanted. He wants you as part of his family. He wants to pull you in. He wants you face to face. This is God of the universe. He doesn't want to punish you. He doesn't want to destroy you. He doesn't want to cast you into hell. He wants you in an abiding relationship with him. No matter what your color is. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter the struggles you've gone through. It doesn't matter the sins that you've committed. God Almighty wants you face to face with Him. And He's pleased. He's pleased when you come to Him. And do we learn how to pray in Jesus' name? We learn that as we're young, don't we? Bible school, pray. You say, in Jesus' name, amen. And yet we sang one of the songs we sang, and I, I didn't write it down. 
we were singing about praise the name. Yeah, that was it. Praise the name. You know what that means? Praise means brag. I've told you that before. And his name means his character. You're praising his character. You're praising who he is. You gotta get, that's why you have to get to know him. This is not just some abstract, weird, hallelujah, something to an abstract God. This is getting to know him through our Lord Jesus Christ, getting to know his character, get to know who he is. And that, that's why this should make your heart jump when you say, God Almighty wants to adopt me into his family. He's pleased to do it. It gives him joy. And as I realize that I'm praying in the name of Jesus out of his character, I'm praying out of what he wants, not out of what I want. We need to realize that often we are thinking that we're praying in God's will, but we can't. We don't know how. We can't see the bigger picture. We don't know the scope of life. We can't see all of history and eternity as God does. He can see it all. And so when, while we're praying for his will, we're out of his will sometimes because he sees everything and he can guide us in that prayer. And when God answers our prayers, it has to have, it has to have everyone and everything in mind so that he can work out all things to good to those who love him. Romans eight twenty eight. How does... I mean, just try and figure that out. How can God work all things out for the good to those who love him? When you're playing, praying for your basketball team last night, Oregon to win, and was it Oregon and someone else? And Oregon lost by one, didn't they? I was praying for Oregon. <laughs> now, I wasn't really praying, but I, that, that was the team I chose. But, you know, if you're praying for that team, I, and is God sitting there going, oh, Gary wants North Carolina. Alan wants, what am I going to do? <laughs> Gary, God doesn't do that. I was praying for Oregon. You were? You? We both got disappointed. You know, if, if Paul had prayed to be released from prison and God said, okay, I'll release you from prison, we wouldn't have Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians or Philemon. He had to go to jail to write those. They're called prison epistles. He was too busy. He was running around converting the world. And God says, slow down. I have four books I want you to write for me. You got to go to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Write four books. His imprisonment was for our good. Did Paul know that? Prayer does not change things. There's no power in prayer. There's no ultimate power in prayer. When we think of that, that centers prayer in us. The power of prayer, the power of me asking. It's God who changes things. It is God who has the ultimate power. And that's where our prayer goes. Not in the power of our prayer, the power of him to whom we are praying for. We get it mixed up. We think it's the, prayer, the power of prayer. Uh-uh. It's the power of God. To whom we are praying. Prayer is not magic. Persistent prayer isn't, desi- isn't, isn't designed to change God's mind. Weeks of prayer and fasting doesn't break God's will down to my will. The purpose of prayer is for me to change. It's for me to adapt to God. To, for me to know that God is God. And that he does know best. And for me to learn how to live a God-centered life when things aren't working out 
in my life the way I think they should. If I live frustrated or angry with God, it's probably because my will isn't in alignment with His will. The failures and disappointments may be there to help me change. Now think about that. Every person in here who is of thinking age has been disappointed in God. You have felt like God has let you down. If you're honest. The super spiritual, <laughs> maybe not, but, but the rest of us, we are disappointed at times with God. And what this passage does is refocus myself and say, you know, God's in control. God's the source of my power. And God is working out this bad thing in my life for my good. Maybe this is exactly what I needed. But you ask, what if something bad happens? A, a, sick, a child who's sick doesn't get well? Oh, I prayed with urgency when my grandson was in the hospital, could hardly breathe. What happens if he doesn't get well? A person you want to see turn to the Lord refuses to. A marriage falls apart that you prayed fervently for. A church dies or is weakened that you prayed for. What about those things? Aren't those good things? Aren't those good things to pray for? Let me ask you this. Can you believe that God works out everything for good? Even those bad things? Do you think Daniel's parents prayed for their son, teenage son, as he's being taken? Did they pray when Nebuchadnezzar came to take away these people? Please don't take my son. Don't take Daniel. Don't take Daniel, please. I can't imagine a parent not praying that and then watching their teenage son being taken away. And it's not like us. We can fly to the other side of the world. We can fly to China, be there tomorrow night or earlier, and come back the next day. You travel to Babylon, you never come back. Or if you do, it's 70 years later. Praying, Daniel, don't take him. And he did. And God did great things through Daniel. God needed Daniel in in Babylon, God needed Daniel there for us. All through the scriptures, we see bad things happen to good people. Some cases we, we can read and see how things worked out. It was good. Sometimes they, it, we don't see the answer. And at that point, God says, trust me. I want you to trust me here. Why? Why should I trust you, God? This, that didn't work out. I trust you then. It didn't work out for me then. Why should I trust you? God says, I'm worthy of your trust. God says, my proof is in my son. You want proof that that these bad things that are happening in your life that are not working out? Proof that it's okay? Look at my son. Listen to him. Look how he trusted me when it didn't work out. Sometimes people rejected his teaching. Sometimes people are going to reject your best efforts. Sometimes people accused him of being lax in his morals, selfish in his motivation. People do the same to you. At the end of his life, he hardly had anything physically speaking. He suffered poverty. He suffered shame. He was persecuted. You may suffer in the same way. People he helped and he taught and he healed left him when things got tough. They abandoned him when he needed them most. 
They didn't encourage him when he needed encouragement. And yet all the time, he faithfully prayed. And here's the amazing thing. He faithfully prayed at the ultimate insult, a torturous death. I love this picture. You can't see it very well on the screen. By an artist named Tisset. It's watercolors. This is Jesus' view hanging from the cross, looking down and seeing the people all around him. Some are obviously sad. Some are gambling, doing whatever they want to. Some are mocking. And during that torturous death, shame, mocking death, and all throughout that suffering, he reached out to others. And you prayed, Father, forgive them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't think it was a cry to God as much as it was to the people around him saying, read Psalms 22. That's the beginning of Psalms 22. I think it was an evangelistic outreach to the Pharisees as they hung on the cross. And he said, Psalms 22, read it. It's talking about me here. It talks about mocking and dividing his garments. Learn the lesson of Jesus. Life doesn't always work out the way you want it to. But God will always work out his ultimate will. And the proof is not only in the life of Jesus, not only his death, but ultimately in his resurrection. And this is God's vindication that when all is said and done, he's going to bring everything together. This is his promise. He's going to write all things. He's going to glorify what needs to be glorified. He's going to reward. He's going to be punished as needed. When it's all done, the resurrection is going to prove it all. He's going to raise us up. So he says, so, so ask. You see, that's, that's what's going to happen. Your old body is going to be renewed. Everything that was bad is going to be fixed. It's going to happen in the resurrection one day. So he says, based on that, ask. And we know that he hears us. You know, as we end here, I appreciate the prayers that I get regularly. I know some people pray for me daily. My wife, my mother, my dad, some others. Because they tell me. And I, I appreciate that tremendously. I get notes in the mail, text sometimes, praying for you. And I appreciate that. Because I think about this. God, people are going face to face with God and saying, Alan needs some encouragement. It's obvious. Give him some strength. Help us face whatever the prayer is. And just me knowing that I have been brought before God through someone else. God knows. I'm in that abiding relationship. God knows. But just for me to know that other people are praying is encouraging. Everyone here, you have someone who's been praying for you. Some way, somehow. Someone's been praying for you. Might be a mama. Might be a daddy. Might be a brother sister. Brother and sister in Christ. Some of you are struggling mightily with things. Know that before God, someone has gone face to face and said, help this person, strengthen this person, bring this person back, help their attitude, 
Help them know that you love them. Help me show that love. Help me to help them. Everyone has been prayed for. So I want you to take this personally right now. Think about who has been praying for you. Don't say no one's been praying for me. Yeah, someone has been. Someone has prayed for you. And then ask yourself, what does God want me to do? Face to face with God, what does God want me to do? Because he's been asking, people have been asking that this change in my life. What do I need to do? Only you can answer that. Sometimes it's repairing a broken relationship. Sometimes it's returning to God. Sometimes it's doing something you've been needing to do or stopping something you need to stop. People have been praying for you. And so I'm going to ask you to respond to God, not to the prayer, but to God, who's face-to-face with you and wants you to come into that relationship with him, wants that abiding relationship strengthened, moved along, growth in that relationship. Just respond to it. Most of us are going to respond as we just stand and sing. Some may need to come forward and talk to our elders, talk to someone, Gary afterwards, myself, someone else, and say, look, just need to talk to you. It's really hard for me to believe what you've been saying. I want to. Help me. Ask. If you can need to respond, come on. Come forward. We stand to sing. Ask.